This week on the Recruitment Flex, the good guy versus the bully, who will win? White guys asking for proof? QR codes, how can you use them in recruitment? And kudos to the small but mighty province of Prince Edward Island for being the first province to legislate pay transparency on job ads in Canada. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge with my partner, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Oh, good, Serge. You know what I just noticed? What? Your mustache is completely white. You are very handsome and the gray is very distinguished on you, but I never really noticed how white you've become just on your facial hair. What's going on, man? Have you run out of just for men dye? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I have. I'm glad you pointed that out because yesterday was brought up by someone else. That's why I have a goatee now because my full beard is white, 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 white. And wow. And then my goatee is not overwhelming as much if I had the full beard white because then I look really old. And I don't like my look without some type of facial hair. I don't know why. I just look way better with it. It looks great. Hair. Listen, I know you're going a little bit gray, but you know what just occurred to me? I started going gray right about the time the boys were seven and eight. Okay. I started getting more gray. Obviously, I color my hair because that's right around the same age that, well, Mallory, for sure. Yeah. But could it be? It, it could <laughs> having, be. Having it, it, yeah, it could very well be because the transition in the last two years has yeah. been dramatic. I used to have like white patches, but now if I don't just ferment it, it's fully gray. I'm fully gray, but my hair is still 95% dark as just a side. So there's a little bit of gray. So I guess it could be worse. Like I, I'm not going to complain about a little bit of gray. My yeah, hair is, is holding on. Yeah. Cause definitely like, you don't want to be Chad. So wash, you know what? And you mentioned it, you either have to be really good looking or buff to pull off bald. And I'm not either, but Chad is more buff. So he can pull it off as far as it looks. And very good him. looking. Oh, I would. Argue well, that okay. Back. I don't expect you to agree with me, but I know Chad never listens to our show anyway. So we'll no, well, get... I think Joel is better looking if you ask me than Chad. That's <laughs> really? It's not my type. Don't get me wrong. Oh, okay. But... Okay. I, I would say Joel's more my type. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I like bigger men. You like bulky men. Like, bulky. Yes. Bulky. I forget what the body types are. <laughs> God, I hope they don't listen to this episode. Let's, let's move on. Sorry, I wanted quickly, to ask you a question, quickly. Shelley. Oh, okay. I wanted to ask yeah. you a question on your kids because I have kids and I am just inundated with so many activities. We've put oh, them in yeah. everything. And Mallory's in rock climbing. She's in mm -hmm. soccer. She's in swimming. She wants to be in gymnastics. She wants. I was just going to say, in, where's gymnastics fit into this? Yes. <laughs> she was coming. In, but she mm -hmm. wants to be in ballroom dancing. So there is a show on Netflix, which is about kids ballroom dancing. Yeah. It's really entertaining to watch. Uh, it's really cute to, to see. So she wants to go in ballroom dancing. 
which I'm like, sure, um, let's do it. But when your kids were that age, how many activities were they in? Not as many as what you just listed, because the boys were like so laser focused on hockey, but then they always had one or two other things until they got to a certain age, one or two other things they were involved in. Parker took fencing. That was really cool. He also had a very short-lived interest in gymnastics. Chandler had a very short-lived interest in lacrosse. Unfortunately, as he got more serious about hockey, he just couldn't because the risk of injury. And then this is the part where I think I went totally gray is when the boys decided they were going to do downhill mountain biking. Oh, fantastic. And the chances of injury are about 90%. Even if you've got them all geared up between the ages of say nine and 12, they were so into downhill biking and that was it for me. Now, Brooklyn, on the other hand, tried everything just like Mallory. When she was probably about Mallory's age, it was like, Oh, I'll try rock climbing. And then for her birthday, I think when she turned eight, we did like a pet planet type of thing where there's all kinds of critters and plant, you know, and boy, times have changed. So there she was at Mallory's age. Okay. Totally fine to have a birthday party with bugs and rabbits and a snake. So last night, Serge, (laughs) we get home and Brooke is screaming. And refuses to go in her room because there's a spider about the size of the tip of your baby finger, almost close to the ceiling. And she's like, that's it. I'm moving out. I'm leaving. (laughs) There's a spider in my room. And I'm like, oh my God, isn't that amazing? Like there she was as a kid, completely fine with it. And same thing with rock climbing. Like the thought of her doing it now, like you couldn't get her to do that for love or money. No, that way, you've seen the videos of Mallory rock climbing. Absolutely That's no impressive. fear. No fear at all, uh, which is so great. What happens? Something happens. I think it's, I think, I I think, think a lot of this. it is, is seeing other people being scared of, and then you realize I should be scared of this. And then so true. It, it becomes a part of you. Shelly, I am yeah. ecstatic to talk about our recruitment insight of this week, because I think okay. we have some really interesting. I know you've fun. been chomping at the bits for this. I've been chomping at the bits. You- Last week, our friend, Elon Musk, when I say friend, I say really loosely, I guess he's got a lot of spare time since the acquisition for Twitter is not going to happen, or it looks like it's not Oh, it looks, yeah, it's coming unraveled a bit, maybe. Which I'm starting to think that's his MO. I don't think he was ever really serious about it. I think he tries to manipulate the stock market and the crypto market in some cases. But anyways, he went out, sent an email to the executive staff saying, I want everyone in the office. I want them at least, which is interesting wording. At a minimum. Yeah, at a minimum, 40 hours in the office. A lot of these people probably work a lot more than 40 hours. But he's also putting himself in trouble in Germany, where the labor laws is 38 hours is the maximum you can work, which is causing him some challenges there. But I read what he sent, and I'm actually glad he's doing it. I'm glad someone is going out and really testing if this is going to be the new reality of work. And he's going against the grain by saying, no, I need you in the office in any labor market after what we've gone through the last couple of years and the mentality about working from home has changed dramatically. I personally don't think we're going back, but I want to see what's going to happen by mandating everyone to come in the office. So I wrote something on LinkedIn, went kind of viral, not like Kim Wilkinson viral. Then I'm looking at who viewed it. 
So there's over 200 Tesla employees that viewed what I wrote, which was basically I shared the letter and I'm like, interesting. I guess the market's going to dictate if this is going to work or not. Then I had several likes from Tesla employees and I'm not connected to any Tesla employees. There's not many Tesla employees here in Calgary, Alberta, in the middle of oil country. Mm -hmm. Then we see on another spectrum of the market where Brian Chesky, the CEO oh, of Airbnb. Before you go there, Serge, yeah. talk a little bit about some of the comments, because I was following until you hit 100,000 comments or something. I was following it and then I went, holy cow, this took on a life of its own. What did you think was the most interesting commentary about your post? Because you were very interesting, observational. I don't think you were looking to pick a fight or anything. No, not at all. Uh, so give me some key things that stood out for you as far as feedback and comments to your post. Most of the comments were, I want to work from home. He's outdated in his thinking. Then I had other people come out and say, like, good for him. I had one actually yesterday be like, he's making people do their jobs. And then I'll have other comments that talk about, we always collaborate better when we work together my concern here, and this is where I don't know if I'm right or wrong. What the market is telling me is that there's a great majority of the people that are knowledge workers that don't want to go in the office and mandated to go in the office full time. That's what my assumption is. And I'm really looking at this experiment that Elon is doing to see, is it true? Is it not? Is the brand going to be a difference maker in that sense? Because it's a difference of Tesla trying this out compared to Joe's machine shop or right. like an yeah, unknown yeah. brand. Yeah. You can't play the same game because there's a lot of people that want to work for Tesla and it's a mission they want to get behind yeah. and they're probably willing to go into the office more than most companies. So a lot of commentary, I would say 70% were like, he's crazy. It's going to blow up in his face in a nicer way than that. And then there was 30% being like, good for him. People should be in the office. And a lot of people correlate it to what their own experience is. I've right. worked remotely for a long time. I definitely lean that side. Yeah. The people that have been successful working in the office and that's how they're leaning. But like the flip side to it, because it works for you, doesn't mean that it works for everyone. Yeah. That's very valid for sure. I do want to go to what Brian Chesky at Airbnb has done. Hey, Brian Chesky, I would say Three weeks ago, came out, had a video, was interviewed in several places. My employees can work anywhere. Doesn't matter. I'm 100% behind it. We've launched during the pandemic a new site. We've increased revenue. Most everything has worked out for us. We have two different cases of two companies that people would want to work with. A little bit different personnel, right? So this is going to give us an idea of where the market is going. Because if Elon is successful, there's going to be a lot of CEOs that are going to be like, no more boiling the frog, like guys come in right now. That's going to happen because a lot of CEOs do not like this concept at all. They do like the old command and control type of management style. But one of the things that I think is really fascinating, I was talking to someone at Indeed. If you look right now in the US, there's been over 500 Tesla employee resumes being added in the last week. That's a fairly high amount. On the flip side, Airbnb, since they've announced it, have had over a million views on their career page. 
Is this giving us a little bit of an idea of where this is going? What's your take here? And I'm glad you touched on this balanced approach. It's not going to be a matter of right and wrong. I think what really rubbed most people the wrong way was Elon Musk inferring that if you are working remote, you're not really working, which is really offensive. He said, pretending to work because you're fake working somewhere. What that said to me is just volumes of, I don't trust any of you motherfuckers. Just get here where I can see you, which is your point of command and control. Is he puffing up his chest and saying, the rest of you weaklings, just watch how it's done, which would be typical of him, right? Yeah. Some people really want to work for a leader like that. Like we said, I think last week you used the term, there's a lid for every pot. Not everybody wants to work for somebody like that. So there are wonderful options out there. And you're right. I lean more towards remote for the same reason you do, because it's just so much of a healthier balance for me and has been. I'm just so glad I don't have to spend 40 minutes driving back and forth in traffic. So of course, I'm leaning more towards Airbnb, where they say, I trust you, right? Unless you give me a reason not to trust you, which resonates with me. This is more of a battle of cultures and what you relate to. I don't think we're going to have a clear winner or loser. We're going to see that people who want to be trusted at work will go work for places that have that sort of messaging. And it goes to the point that the market is going to dictate who is going to win. And why would you just want to recruit in a very specific area when you can recruit the whole world and actually guess the best possible talent? It's been proven that remote can work really well for certain roles Hmm. that you would take that approach and get the best possible talent, especially for a company like Tesla. The market will dictate, and that's where... I'm very interested to see because right now the supply and demand is completely off. We are possibly heading into a recession, which might shift the labor dynamics and might shift what actually happens here. In the long run, the interesting part of this story is going to be who innovates because Elon Musk has been very clear that you can't innovate if you're not in the office. And Airbnb is saying the opposite, that great minds can think alike and don't need to be under the same roof. That's the measure of success is going to be who's going to continue to innovate. Elon Musk believes that there will be certain types of people that just want to work for people like him. Well, and there will be. And right now I'm reading a book called Super Founders, which is a story of PayPal, which Elon Musk was a part of PayPal. It was a CEO, very short-lived CEO. I know that. He did get kicked out really quickly. And his approach hasn't changed that dramatically over the years. He mentioned, I slept on his office floor for years for people to see that I was there. And I expect the same from my employees. What's your take there? So what he said, I know exactly what you're referring to. He said that he kept an office right on the manufacturing floor so that employees could see him coming in and out every day. Like when I think back to my own career, and yes, I've been working for a number of years, just a couple of years. It was very much that culture. Like you don't leave until the boss leaves. It just makes sense with everything else he said, minimum 40 hours a week. So if you're working in a corporate culture where nobody leaves the office until you see the boss leave. The guy is, it's his company. He's going to reap billions from it. 
I am not going to sleep in my office on a factory floor for a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars a year. I am sorry. The expectation that employees are going to work harder than the guy that owns the business is fucking crazy. It's crazy because if you are a leader and you expect that from your employees, you are going to be very disappointed and a lot of employees won't like working for you. You got to adjust your expectations there. Let's jump into the next recruitment insight. Yeah. Okay. So I know you and I both came across more of an opinion piece, I would say, that was on LinkedIn that was trying to debunk this, what is commonly been accepted as fact around the whole notion of when you're posting a job ad and it's got a laundry list of say 10 qualifications on it, women will tend not to apply. This is our whole discussion point. Is it even true that women won't apply unless they are qualified for everything on that list? Whereas men will do a five out of 10, six out of 10. I'll take a shot. And this article was trying to tear apart, where's the facts? Show me the receipts. Who did the study? Where's the data behind this? Brooke and I ended up talking about this over dinner. Okay. And so I said, I don't need a study to know that this is true. Maybe having been in recruitment for 25 years, I know that it's true. And I know that it's part of human nature. This article dug underneath and said, oh, we know where Sheryl Sandberg, who was the first kind of famous person to quote this, we think she was basing this off just her point of view from a Hewlett Packard study, because that's where she came from. When in fact, that particular study just simply said that women won't apply for a more senior position than what they currently have. And that, I believe, men are always wanting to apply for a higher position, whereas women, we may apply for roles that we're currently qualified for. The whole notion that women apply for fewer jobs than men is probably true. It's probably true. But do we need a study to prove it? What do you think, Serge? When you brought up that topic, I was really interested because I never thought of it. And I saw the same article and I'm like, interesting, because where does that come from? Everyone's been talking about this for years, that women apply for less jobs and if men need to be qualified for less to apply for the job. And I never really questioned it. I just went with it and assumed that it was fact. So after seeing what you sent to me, I'm like, let me research this. Let me try to find some data that proves it. I couldn't at all, actually, but I did find some interesting tidbits here and there, some interesting research that kind of correlated and says, yeah, it's probably true. There is so many different nuance and factors that can affect how women apply for jobs than men. We are different beings, like it or not. Looking at a couple of studies, and one that I found was in 2019, what they're saying is women are 16% less likely than men to apply a job after viewing it. And women apply to 20% fewer jobs than men. So is it based on the qualifications or are women pickier with the types of jobs they apply? I'm just making an assumption. I'm not saying this is the case at all. I'm just raising the question. Being unemployed for a man in the past was seen as an extremely negative thing. You got to be supporting your family. This is societal norms that we put on men for many years. And this has changed. So the only thing that occurred to me was our friends over at Talvista that have actually used scientifically proven words that are problematic. 
That is the way the job ad is written infers more masculine tone. Whether that is in your subconscious or you're reading it and it's saying you must be this, I'm not saying women take it more literally, but it's problematic just the way things are worded, right? They are exclusionary by nature. And we can't help it as human beings. We have a bias. If a man is writing a job description or a job ad, I'm not saying whether they're aware of it, but they will write it to what they believe they need in this role. There's no intention. There's no malice. I really do believe it comes down to the quality of the content of the job ad that you are writing as to whether or not a woman will apply. And my commentary on this whole article that got the subject started was it's a bunch of white men trying to pick this apart and say, without evidence, this is nothing but somebody's opinion. It was all white guys (laughs) saying, nobody's proven this. How do we know this is true? Asshole. It is true. Well, in probably is. It is. Like, what the fuck? If you work in recruitment, like we know this just from pure experience. My argument here, I agree with everything you're saying, but the argument here is I'm not sure that it's based on the requirements of the job itself. I think it goes deeper. Again, I'm making assumptions, Mm -hmm. but it might not just be based on those requirements of the roles. There might be other factors that are causing women to apply for less jobs. Would you agree with that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Of course there is. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what was interesting? So I found a LinkedIn research, and this is where the stats I was giving you earlier. And one thing that came out that really surprised me, women are 16% more likely than men to get hired after applying a job. And they are 18% more likely than men to get hired after applying for more senior roles. Does that surprise you? It did. Yeah. That really surprises me because I'd say just the opposite. Well, and we know we all have well, our biases, right? Hold on a minute. Uh, Back up the bus. Back up the bus. Because this does make sense if the first fact holds true. And that is, I will not apply for a job unless I know I'm qualified. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if I am 18% more likely than a man to get hired after applying for more senior role, it's because I won't apply for a job that I'm not qualified for. Very valid. That doesn't make sense. Okay. No, I'm glad you brought that point up because that aligns completely. And I'm going to go into the next recruitment insight because this one is fascinating. So fun. Yeah. It's fun. You go ahead. You intro this one. QR codes, I remember when they were introduced in like 2009, 2010. Has it been that long? Yeah, it's been that long. Like we're going that far back. And QR codes basically die. They did not gain any traction until, Mm -hmm. until the pandemic. QR codes became much more used during the pandemic. Go to a restaurant. What are you looking at? Oh, yeah, you're right. On the table, you're looking from your phone on the menu. True, true. So many different places that QR codes your vaccine passport here in, uh, yeah. in Canada. So we have seen QR codes take a resurgence and I'm thinking we should be leveraging QR codes way more in recruitment. QR codes have a lot of advantage. They're cheap. They track really well. You can know exactly where it's coming from. 
So why not leverage it in recruitment? So I, I started doing some research. The first article I found was 2011 from ere.net. 2011. So ere.net is probably the prime space to go look at recruitment type articles. And it was Dr. John Sullivan that was talking about it back then. Then I start looking at articles in 2021, 2022, and I'm cross-referencing in 2011 is here is how you can use it. In 2021 is here how you can use it. Exactly the same, no difference. And here are the use cases that could be extremely effective for social media. Why not put up QR codes to drive them right to the application or to go to find out more in depth, to send them to your career page, to send them to a landing page that talks about why it's such a great place for you to work or to your YouTube channel. The one use case that I was interested everywhere I go in retail is we're hiring. You'll see on t-shirts, we'll see on posters. I'm like, why not have your employees that work in retail store with the QR code right on their shirt. Someone can look at it, apply a job directly. As on the back their... of your shirt. Huh. Okay. The back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody coming up to me with their phone. <laughs> you just happen to have it over the right and left breast or something. Uh, it's, yeah, it's no, so the funny you say shirt. that. Okay. It, it shows you the example between men and women because that never even, <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but good point. All right. Because Brooklyn's looking for a job right now, right? If she end up, okay. ends up going into retail, I could just put a QR code right on the, no thanks. I'll give you the example. So how about in text messages you're sending out to potential candidates? How about in your emails? There's different ways yeah. you can direct them in a pretty clean way. Right now we're trying to do everything. Everything that's old is new again. And what I mean by that, I used to be the biggest proponent, never use billboards, never use traditional advertising. I'm flipping the other side because anytime there is still attention that can be leveraged, you leverage it, right? As a marketer, if you're leveraging a billboard to advertise your jobs, which might work, why not have a QR code right there? Anyone driving, not driving, but in a passenger seat. Listen, Serge, <laughs> honestly, you're losing it, man. You're no, I'm losing not losing it. it. You're, you're, no, you're losing your grip here, man. Think about what you just said. What did I just say? Think about what you just said. Billboards, QR code. Yes, it's trackable. All that's going to prove is that nobody applies for a fucking job they saw on a billboard. How do you know that? It's all about attention, right? How do we know that? How do Don't we you know work that? in the job board industry? How do people look for work? They don't fucking take a picture of a QR code on a billboard as they're trying to drive and crash their car <laughs> for what kind of job? Well, not while they're driving, but the passenger. Yes, yes. You're, you're, you're no back up the bus. Okay. We'll Shelly, this, there's we'll still this section of. No, uh, of we won't. Comments. I think it's all about <laughs> attention. And right now. That's crazy. It's no. not crazy. The cost to advertise on social media is there's no longer a great return on investment. So. Looking at every avenue and revisiting things that were in the past that worked well then could work again. So I'm totally not against it. And if some of my old employers are listening, they're like, yeah, you've gone crazy because I remember you have you lost were, your mind. You have lost your mind. But <laughs> okay. in this market, I'm completely open. But the one thing, okay, one last okay. thing on QR what? codes. Okay, fine. And then you can tell me I'm fucking crazy. Why not have a QR code on your resume as a candidate that sends them directly to your portfolio? It looks way cooler than just having a link to it. Just a thought. 
I'm just going to back up a little bit because I know you came up with the very interesting parallels of 2011 to 2021 in the use of QR codes. Because I vaguely remember when they came out and it was kind of like, oh, good concept. But I think it was ahead of its time. For example, right now on your smartphone, it's instant. That was not the case in 2011. It really wasn't, right? Technology and certainly the smartphone has made it such a viable solution. That's the one biggest change because the ability to track results and usage, you're right, that's fantastic. But it's taken this long for the rest of the world to catch up. We've seen it with what better way with the vaccine passport, what better way for menus. It has incredible applications for sure. For me to be traveling in Germany and they can scan my... QR code. There you go. And see that I am vaccinated. Like, holy shit. Yeah, that is very cool. I think there's usage for it. I think there's, I think you're right. There's going to be some really great applications for it and use for it because everyone has a smartphone. So one of the things we've been talking about, Shelly, is pay transparency, and we've been using examples of the U.S. Then we talked about New York State, and as everyone knows, we're in Canada. And No province has mandated or legislated this until now. So it took the smallest province, Prince Edward Island, the home of Anna Green Gables. So for anyone that's listening, not from Canada, everyone knows Anna Green Gables for some reason as a massive tourist attraction. PI is a beautiful place. I would retire there tomorrow. So they are the first province as of June 1st that has legislated three things when it comes to the employment side. Employers who publish a publicly advertised job posting must include information about the expected pay for the position or the range of expected pay for the position. That's the first thing that meant it as of June 1st. Employers cannot seek pay history information from applicants. And the last one is prohibition against employers taking reprisal action in relation to pay transparency. And what they mean here is there was a case that someone went publicly and said, they're basically underpaying me, they screwed me, and that employee got fired. Can't do that anymore. First of all, before I go a little bit more in depth, I do have some insider information. I did talk to someone very senior in the PI government. My question is, like, how is this going to work? Because there's a couple different things that I was thinking. There's a lot of employers that are posting jobs into PI that are not based in PI, right? So how are they going to police that? Then what happens if you don't? What's the penalty? What's the penalty? And how are you going to police this or enforce this? So those were the two key points. Putting all of that perspective and what they're doing here, Canada is very close to 100% pay transparency because my assumption here, or maybe my educated guess, it takes one province, then it starts moving along really quickly. What's your thought, Shelly, here? Yeah, so you nailed it, man. There, If there's one thing about Canadian culture is we want to always keep up, right? Yeah. So the fact that PEI did this, and I think you also mentioned that Ontario is also very close. As soon as Ontario goes, the rest of us are like pulling a thread other than Quebec. So true. (laughs) I had no idea, Serge. I did not know that PEI had implemented this new law. I would say that by September, it will pass through our provincial 
legislature as well. Who's going to oppose it? Do you want to be the political party that opposed pay transparency? Corporations aren't going to like it. No, and that's the challenge, say, in Ontario, where it's Mm -hmm. such a heavy industrial economy overall. Like it's like PEI is peanuts. Like it's our smallest economy. It's our smaller labor workforce. However, Ontario is more labor friendly. There are more labor unions in Ontario than any other. Well, other than Quebec, let's take Quebec out of the equation, (laughs) but they have way more. And so in Alberta, we are much less organized labor friendly, Saskatchewan will follow because why wouldn't we? And they are already there because any major corporations, most of them in Saskatchewan, for example, are unionized. And part of the collective agreement says that pay is public. So it's not a stretch. It is not not a stretch for those provinces. You know, what really surprised me is Atlantic Canada is four of our smaller province based in the East Coast. And looking at the labor laws, I was shocked being in Alberta, where we're seen as a very conservative province, our labor laws are way, way better than say New Brunswick. To give you an example of that, in Alberta, if you're working overtime, it's time and a half, you would know this better than I do. So in New Brunswick, it's time and a half of minimum wage. But anyways, we're losing the plot here. Uh, (laughs) There's a couple of things I asked questions at the start that I didn't answer. One of them is, how are they going to police this? Not really. It's basically a message is we're putting it out there. We don't really have the resources to deeply police this. They are going to look at the two major job sites there, which is Career Beacon and Indeed, and keep an eye on it. But they're really hoping that Indeed and Career Beacon look at it and talk to your clients. Obviously, they can't mandate it. The job boards have no repercussion in any way. Basically, if they find a company that's a repeat offender, they're going to reach out to them. We're going to investigate you as the threat they have. It's not very heavy handed. And they do not have the sophistication to start looking at all the job boards. Like what happens with LinkedIn? What happens with Kijiji? What happens with talent.com? What happens with companies outside of Atlantic Canada that are posting jobs in PEI? Not a whole lot similar. Like they might reach out to them if they notice the jobs a lot on Indeed or Career Beacon, but they'll send them a warning letter. It doesn't have a lot of bite to it, but I don't know if it needs to have a lot of bite. I tend to agree. I think even being investigated by employment standards is probably a most unpleasant experience, I would say. And the other thing is Indeed's already doing it. If you don't post your pay rate, they will show the job seeker estimated pay range for this work. You can either control Do they do that to all the jobs in Canada? It's only in the US right now. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. In the absence of saying what it is in your job advertisement, the estimated pay range is only in certain parts of the U.S. For me, I was actually really excited about this. And why I was excited, I feel it's something that we should have for all our jobs. I do believe it helps in pay transparency. It helps in people's time, just applying for jobs that are not going to be a good fit based on wage. I'm glad the government is starting to legislate it because it just changes the conversation for, and at the end of the day, it's really positive for job seekers. Prince Edward Island. Yeah, it is good news. Thank you for sharing that, Serge. Fantastic. So Shelly, on that note, I have nothing else to say. That's I'm okay. out. 
That's okay. This was a great episode. Thank you so very much for their great research this week and some fun topics. So we will talk again soon. Talk to you soon. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.